Oh my gosh, Ollie! Look at that butt. It's so big. What butt? My butt. <laughs> Episode eleven. I love big butts, and I cannot lie. Specifically, I love pork butts, also known as pork butt roast, Boston shoulder, or Boston butt. Why is this my favorite cut of pork? Because it's inexpensive, flavorful, super versatile, and tough to mess up. Besides, despite its name, it's not the part of the animal you're thinking of. Ready to learn more about butts? Then listen in as I list the many ways butts reign supreme. Welcome to our program. This is the Nom Nom Paleo Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and nomtastic. We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook. And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lilo. Hello. Hi. Hi. Whatever. And they're the reason we do what we do. Okay, Henry, I know you're stuffed up because you're recovering from a cold. That's true. I sound like Mr. Snuffleupagus this week. Not that sympathetic, because you spent last week flitting around in Ireland while I was left alone with the kids. Flitting around? Am I known to flitter? It just means you're very graceful. It's what drew me to you in the first place. (laughs) Not my charming personality, huh? No. Well, it's not like I was on vacation last week. I wasn't in Ireland to see the sights or go on the Guinness tour. I was holed up in the office for the vast majority of the time I was in Dublin. Yeah, but I saw your photos. You weren't just stuck in your office all week. We share an iCloud account, you know. All the photos you took on the phone were uploaded to our account, so I saw you eating your way around town. Barely. Barely eating my way around town. Tell us what you barely ate then. All right, I'll just highlight a few places in between sniffling and blowing my nose. So on the first night I arrived in Dublin, I decided to acclimate to the time zone by wandering around in the daylight for as long as possible. In this time of year, there's a lot of daylight in Ireland. Sunrise is at 5 a.m. and it doesn't get dark until after 10 p.m. So in a haze of jet lag and without any sense of where I was actually going, I just set out walking. I'm already lost. It's okay. Dublin's a super walkable city, so I just ended up strolling through St. Stephen's Green, which is this lush park in the center of the town, just south of Trinity College, and I followed the crowds to Grafton Street. And then when I got hungry, I did what (laughs) I always do. You texted me to find out where you should eat. That's right. I figured my food-obsessed wife, who was 5,000 miles away and eight time zones away, could tell me exactly where to go grab dinner. Hey, admit it. I never steer you wrong. That's true. You did some quick research and directed me to Gallagher's Boxty House, which specializes in traditional Irish Boxty. What is Irish Boxty? Boxty is an Irish potato pancake. I guess it's like an Irish version of a latke. Boxty is usually made with finely grated raw potatoes and mashed potato, mixed with buttermilk, baking soda, flour, and eggs. But at Boxty House, they make a version that's gluten-free. In fact, there were tons of gluten-free options listed on the menu. Did you pick out this place for me because you saw that they have a large selection of gluten-free stuff on the menu? Well, yeah, and also because it's top-rated. When I look for restaurants to try, I first check for places nearby with strong reviews and ratings on Yelp or TripAdvisor, 
And then I look more closely to see if their menus have gluten-free or paleo-friendly items. That's how I found Gallagher's Boxty House. On my way over to this restaurant, I had to make my way past a couple of ambulances that had arrived to tend to a drunk guy who injured himself walking out of a pub. You know, you, you can injure yourself just walking, I guess. <laughs> the Boxty House is in a section of Dublin called Temple Bar, which is particularly popular with pub-crawling tourists. I ended up eating near the window, and I had a great view of this poor guy getting strapped onto a stretcher and loaded up onto an ambulance. But enough about him. How'd you like the food? It was good. I started with the boxty platter appetizer, which included boxty dumplings in a blue cheese sauce, toasted boxty loaf topped with St. Tolis goat cheese and sun-dried tomatoes, and boxty fries with roast garlic aioli. Somehow it's all gluten-free, even though I can't say it was paleo at all. So... They form these potato pancakes into all these different shapes? Yeah, I think they use the batter for boxty, and then they do different things with the batter. So I think what they ended up doing for the fries, for instance, was they used the batter to form these long fry-looking shapes and then deep-fried them. And then when we talk about the dumplings made of boxty, I think they just made it so that it was sort of like gnocchi. Which it sounds like it is, because it's potato and potato. (laughs) Yeah, it was potato on potato on potato. Sounds like Ireland. Does sound like Ireland. And what'd you have for your main dish? Oh, and for my main, I had the traditional corned beef. So nothing boxy like at all. It was just thick cut slices of corned beef served with sauteed cabbage, roasted baby carrots, and, well, mashed potatoes. You know, I was actually kidding about the main dish part because it sounded like you had a lot to eat already. (laughs) 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 But was this the best meal you had in Dublin? Uh, it's hard to say. I also had a great dinner with my team from work at an Irish restaurant called The Winding Stair, which is a restaurant that's actually built on top of a bookshop, and it overlooks the north side of the River Liffey, which cuts through the middle of Dublin. I had a pretty paleo-friendly meal there of steak and potatoes, potatoes of course, and it was really, really delicious. You know, people say that potatoes aren't paleo, but you know what I say? When in Ireland, eat potatoes. Or frankly, just eat potatoes anywhere. That is not hard to do in Ireland. Every single meal I had in Ireland featured potatoes. Where else did you go? My awesome colleague Grania, who you know, took a few of us to lunch at her fiancé Pete's brand new street food market on the Thursday that I was out there. Henry. Hey, yes. Pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet you. How you Good doing? to meet you. How are you doing? How are you doing, right? How are you? How are you doing? So this is, this is my baby. This is a, it's a beautiful baby. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone look hungry. It's called Picnic on the Plaza, and it's held every Thursday at lunchtime at George's Quay Plaza in central Dublin, just behind the Terrace Street Dart Station. It's sort of tucked away off the street and kind of difficult to find, but if you look for the Ulster Bank headquarters building, it's it's really just around the corner from that. And it's just a collection of food trucks? Yeah, so once a week, Pete arranges for a bunch of picnic tables to be arranged on the plaza, he kind of lays out this astroturf rug and puts all these picnic tables on top of it, and then surrounds all of this with a number of food trucks, serving all kinds of incredible street food from American-style barbecue and Thai food to thin-crust pizza, slow-braised meats, you name it. Pete and Grania actually recently moved to Dublin from London, where Pete was also putting together street food markets, so he definitely knows how to put these things together. Is it better than some of the food trucks you've tried in the States? I think it's comparable, you know, I I think the food truck scene is really just growing in Ireland. 
So it's really amazing to see all of these food carts because I think it is really just the start of a really big trend. So where'd you eat? I got my lunch from a truck called K&M Foodcraft. I ordered some slow-cooked beef shin and pork belly. And they also piled on tons of roasted vegetables, beets, and a big pickle. Uh, and of course, it came with potatoes. So the beef, uh, is it cooked the same way, or is it... It's braised first. Mm -hmm. That's char-grilled, and mm -hmm. that's braised. Oh, the pork belly looks delicious. Yeah, that's the pork belly, yeah. We add different spices sometimes, but the idea of slow cooking is all the same. It's all braised the meat. Close the flavor inside, right. make it nice and moisture, and then put it into the oven and cook it for 8 to 12 hours. So it's nothing about the fast food, you know, and cheaper. Right. Well, that sounds good. Yeah, K&M takes a real food approach to cooking using locally sourced Irish produce, and they don't use ingredients with any preservatives or additives. That sounds yummy. And then I saw that you got some coffee from another truck. Yeah, only it was more of a van. So this place called Coco Brew just got started a few weeks ago, and it definitely caught my eye. They've set up shop inside a retro van with a top that flips open to reveal a full gourmet coffee bar, serving up high-end coffee drinks, including their version of bulletproof coffee, which they call Coco Brew. So is Coco Brew similar to the bulletproof coffee? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's my it's my version of it. Really, it's just cacao butter instead of brown sugar. Yeah, I use that because I don't like. I work in a gym over there. Back in the stuff, butter brings me down like whey protein, all that stuff. I try to get so I use cacao butter there, and it gives it a nice. It's a nicer taste. Personally, I think so you use cacao butter and MCT oil. Quiet taste, but it I, mean, I, quiet I, taste. I like it. I mean, uh, we should probably explain that Bulletproof Coffee, if you haven't come across it yet, is a riff on yak butter tea, something that the Bulletproof exec Dave Asprey tasted while traveling in Tibet. And then he later popularized it in the States. But basically, it's coffee blended with grass-fed butter and medium-chain triglyceride oil or MCT oil, an easily digestible fat. Bulletproof coffee is purported to suppress hunger, keep you more mentally sharp, and boost weight loss. I don't know that I believe the hype, and frankly, not everyone enjoys the taste, but I personally do like the taste of butter blended in my coffee. It's like really creamy. Yeah, and cocoa brew is just like Bulletproof, only using cacao butter instead of the regular stuff. It tastes remarkably like Bulletproof, and I'm willing to bet that it's one of the first places to actually offer this in Dublin. Plus, Coco Brew was started by a CrossFit coach who moved to Ireland from Sydney, Australia, which, as you know, Michelle, is home to one of the world's greatest coffee cultures. And this exploding paleo scene, too. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy finding Coco Brew at Picnic in the Park, and I was happy to have a nice conversation with Tony DeVito, the guy who runs Coco Brew. How you train if you are training, which is good. It is a big CrossFit thing. Very big. Yeah. yeah. Are you, is that CrossFit what you do with the CrossFit there, here? Perpetual, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I've been a... Did anyone else from your office try the coffee, or did they think it was crazy? Uh, I think both. <laughs> Everybody took a sip from my cup. Really? Uh, yeah. Maybe that's how you got sick. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I passed my cup around, and everybody gave it a try. Some of them turned up their noses and thought it tasted too much like soup. Soup? Soup. But Pete thought it was good. I think he ended up actually heading over there and ordering one himself. Why did they think it tasted... It because they're used to sugar in their coffee and it wasn't sweet? Was that why they thought it was soupy? I guess so. And also because once it's blended, there's actually like a little film of oil on top. Hmm. 
And I think the visual actually reminded them more of soup than the taste. Hmm, that's interesting. Like, so if it had a lid, it wouldn't seem like soup. I should have put a lid on it. Yeah. Okay, so next time I'm coming along and dragging the kids with me, whether you like it or not. I'd love it. Well, while you were hanging out eating at food trucks in Ireland and all these fancy restaurants, I had my hands full with the boys, so I did a bunch of batch cooking on the weekend you left. I slow roasted a giant pork butt, baked a tray of damn fine chicken, made a quick instant pot chicken stew, and then I whipped up a Mexican garbage stir fry. That's all you did? You're such a slacker. Well, excuse me for feeding your children. Anyway, for me, if you aren't around and I'm by myself, the rate limiting step for cooking dinner is normally whipping up a protein main dish, especially since I buy all these braising cuts. But this time, all my main dishes were ready to reheat and all I needed to do during the week was make a vegetable side dish. Whoa, so you cooked every meal while I was out in Ireland? No. We actually went out for a meal with my parents and then we also went to my parents' house and I mooched a meal. My mom made a fantastic paleo-friendly meal for us of pan-fried lamb chops, which are Owen and Ollie's favorites, besides filet mignon, (laughs) (laughs) sautéed jumbo prawns and ghee, and a giant salad. So thank you, Mom. Are you working on being nicer to your mom? Yeah, Owen told me I had to. You know, it's important to have a good relationship with your mother. When you're older, I'm going to remind you that you said that. Oh, okay. If I have to pick a favorite cut of meat to cook at home, I will always choose a big pork butt roast. In the main course of this podcast, we'll chat about why I love this cut, how it got its wacky buttastic name, how to find it, and how to cook it. Ew, Mom. Do you really cook pig butts? (laughs) Well, despite its name, pork butt roasts don't come from their hindquarters. Do you know where the butt roast actually comes from? Butts are butts. They come from butts. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. The butt is actually part of the shoulder. The pork shoulder is made up of the Boston butt and the picnic shoulder. And the Boston butt or pork butt is the American name for a cut of pork that comes from the upper part of the shoulder, from the front leg, and may contain the blade bone. How come it's called Boston butt when it's actually from the shoulder? And what does Boston have to do with it? The story goes that during colonial days, New England butchers tended to take less prized cuts of pork, like shoulder meat, and pack them into barrels for storage and transport. The barrels the pork went into were called butts. This particular shoulder cut became known around the country as a New England specialty, and hence it became the Boston butt. Why were barrels called butts? They don't even look like butts. Yeah, I don't know why the barrels were called butts. Michelle, you also mentioned the picnic shoulder. What's that? So the picnic shoulder is the lower part of the pork shoulder. It can be used in similar preparations as the butt roast, but it has less meat and more bone, skin, and sinew than the butt, which means it's not as nice to cook and eat. If you can find a Boston butt roast, use that instead. The reason I like the butt roast more than just about any other cut of pork is because it's the most flavorful and forgiving cut. Unlike leaner cuts of pork like pork chops or tenderloin, you don't need to brine it or be extra careful about cooking to the right temperature. Even if you grill it, like I do when I make my peachy pork kebabs, it comes out tender and juicy because it's nice and fatty. I mean, who doesn't like nice, juicy fat butts? Mom, you are so gross. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, Michelle, where do you typically shop for pork? Not the supermarket. Why not? I don't want to be a downer, but most supermarket pork is an industrial product raised for maximum amount of growth in the minimum amount of time. So it's something that's sold quickly and cheaply, and they don't care about taste, nutrition, or animal welfare. You do sound like a downer, and that description really did not sound good. Well, I'm sorry, but it's true, and it's something that I didn't really learn until recently because I either kind of had a blind eye to it or I just didn't know. Generally speaking, the pork you get at most supermarkets isn't sustainably or ethically raised, and these are, you know, mistreated pigs who live a pretty terrible existence, and they're pumped up with drugs to get them to grow as fast as possible before they're slaughtered. And as a result, the pork that you buy is pale looking, super lean, which I think a lot of people think is healthy, and really bland tasting. When I looked it up, the average hog today contains 31% less fat than it would have 20 years ago, and the living conditions are pretty horrific. Yeah, it's terrible because pigs are smart and social animals. They're supposed to be as smart and sociable as dogs. Yeah. I was reading all these articles recently about the annual Yulin Dog Meat Festival in China, which makes me sad because I think that a lot of people still think that all Chinese people eat dogs. Which we don't. <laughs> we don't. I have never tasted a dog. Nor do I want to. Yuck. But anyway, I was reading these articles about this dog meat festival in Yulin, which is a city located halfway between Vietnam and Hong Kong. And they're sort of infamous and super controversial for hosting a big dog meat festival every June. It's really disturbing, especially to those of us in Western societies who think of dogs as, you know, beloved companions. Yeah, they're man's best friend. So anyway, one of the dog meat festival participants was defending their dog meat eating ways and said, well, you know, what's the difference between eating dogs and pigs? Dogs are smart, but so are pigs. And yet you guys eat a ton of pork. Yeah, now I'm feeling really guilty. Hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I think eating any animals that have been raised inhumanely is terrible. And of all the billions of beasts that are confined in our meat factories, the most miserable may be the six million sows that churn out the piglets that grow into chops and bacon and ham. Chops and bacon and ham are delicious, though. I know. But apparently... Throughout their four-month pregnancies, many of these sows live in cages just large enough to contain their bodies. And as the sows grow bigger, the tight confinement means they can lie face down but can't flop over onto their sides. And the reason why they were put in these crates was so they wouldn't crush their babies. It's a pretty terrible condition, and it's how these sows are kept the whole time and through multiple pregnancies um, until they decide to slaughter them. I remember you telling me this is sort of analogous to having a woman be constantly pregnant with multiples while being confined for her entire life to an economy seat on a budget airline. Yeah, and then she's killed when she's done pumping out babies. It's enough to really make you stop and think about how your meat is raised. Or actually, it frankly just makes me want to stop eating meat. Well, you know, that might be going a little too far. And I'm, I'm not telling all this stuff about factory farms to scare people, but really it's to inform them to be better consumers. I don't want to eat the kind of pork I just described, and I, I don't think you want to either. And hopefully consumer pressure will stop these inhumane practices. You know, as Joel Salatin, the farmer behind Polyface Farm says, the shorter the chain between raw food and fork, the fresher it is and the more transparent the system is. All right, so back to my original question, which is, where do you recommend buying pork, Michelle? Before I stepped up on a little soapbox. 
Well, you know, I think the thing to do is to try to buy a pastured, humanely raised pork butt from a farmer who raises animals with respect. Because pastured pork tastes better, cooks better, and is better for you. But what would you say to people who feel that pastured pork is just too expensive? It is more expensive than the factory farm stuff. But the cut that I'm describing, the pork butt, is actually one of the most affordable. And an average roast is about five to seven pounds, and that should feed a bunch of folks or leave plenty for leftovers. We happen to live in Silicon Valley, where the standard of living is pretty high. But even we can find pastured pork butt for under 10 bucks a pound. I get mine at Belcampo Meat Company, and I've gotten half hogs from local farms as well. You can find a local farmer or rancher through eatwild.com, and there are also other places that can ship it to you frozen, like U.S. Wellness Meats, Tendergrass Farms, and others. And frankly, if you're just opting to consume really poor quality pork just because it's dirt cheap, you might want to consider just not eating pork. So now that you have your butt, how do you cook your butt? You might not be familiar with the term pork butt roast, but trust me, if you love pork, you've tasted it and loved it. Pork butt roast is super versatile. It's the most common cut used for pulled pork, which is a staple of barbecue in the southern United States. Although pork butt is routinely prepared in slow and low cooking preparations like pot roasting, stewing, slow roasting, barbecuing, and preserving as confit, you can also cube it and skewer it for the grill, and it's the best cut to grind for ground pork or sausage. You already mentioned this earlier, but your peachy pork kebabs recipe is actually a great example of this. Yep. For that recipe, I skewer cubed pork butt and throw it on the grill because the fattiness helps keep the meat juicy. Some folks use the shoulder to make bacon too, rather than just using the belly. That way, more of the pig is utilized and people who like leaner bacon, like me, have something to chomp on at brunch. Still, far and away, the most popular way to cook pork butt, and the one I turn to again and again, is to cook it low and slow. By using this method, you'll end up with a giant pile of fork tender and juicy meat with minimal effort. The secret, I think, is to cook it really low and slow. The reason for that is that pork butt has lots of connective tissue, and with continual low heat, it gets broken down, and the collagen is transformed into gelatin. In the book, How to Cook Meat, authors Chris Schlesinger and John Willoughby say that tough cuts of meat must be cooked through doneness to tenderness. Did you just make fun of that guy's name? Schlesinger? No, I just can't pronounce it. Okay. Schlesinger. That's like a really hard one. He needs a name like Tam that rhymes with ham. (laughs) (laughs) So in other words, you're saying you don't just stop cooking a pork butt when it reaches the internal temperature that you normally associate with other cuts like pork loin or tenderloin. Yeah. A pork butt is not really edible if it's just cooked 140 degrees or even 170 degrees because it gets just really tough. So in order to be tender, a pork butt must be cooked to an internal temperature of 180 to 205 degrees Fahrenheit. And the reason for this, according to food geek Harold McGee, is that the conversion of collagen to gelatin doesn't even begin until meat reaches an internal temperature of 140 degrees Fahrenheit. This transformation is most efficient at internal temperatures near 212 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a lot of degrees. So I'm assuming this is when you break out your meat thermometers? 
Not really, as long as you just give it enough time, because eventually the pork will reach that higher temperature. Like if you set the oven or your barbecue to like 225 or 250, eventually the pork will reach close to those temperatures. And all you have to do is just stick a fork in it to see if it falls apart. And if it does, you know it's done. But if you want to get super technical about it, to get collagen to convert to gelatin, Low and slow barbecuing at 225 to 250 degrees Fahrenheit is ideal because it provides gentle heat over many hours, allowing the collagen to make its transition into gelatin, while some moisture will be driven out of the pork butt as it reaches these high internal temperatures, the gelatin and melted fat make up for it and keep the meat moist. So what you're saying is that you can't really cook pork butt for too long. Well, you don't want to cook it forever, but otherwise, yeah. You can't really mess it up. It's very forgiving. That's why anytime I want to throw together a quick pork stew in my pressure cooker or slow cooker, I cube up pork butt. It doesn't work with just any cut of pork. Yeah, I know you get this panicky, alarmed look on your face every time someone posts a comment on one of your blog posts about how, you know, they're going to try to make one of your pork butt recipes using a different cut of pork instead. That's because it's just not going to work. When I was little, my mom used to make a braised pork dish seasoned with Chinese spices and it was super tender and moist and flavorful and I could just smush it with my chopsticks and it would fall apart. And I remember years later when I was finally living on my own in college, I tried to recreate it, but I just grabbed pork tenderloin because that's what was in the store. And I cooked it low and slow for hours and I was so looking forward to tasting that pork dish from my childhood again. But surprise, surprise, it was gross. The flavors were right, but the texture of the pork was awful. It was like dry and powdery. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why. And after all the buildup and anticipation and then the huge letdown, it made me almost swear off cooking altogether. Now I know why it came out so horribly. If the recipe calls for pork butt, you gotta get butt. You gotta get butt. Really, you can't try to substitute with tenderloin or a pork loin roast because those cuts don't have the fat or connective tissue that butt roasts do. If you cook low and slow with one of those cuts, you'll end up with dry and stringy meat. So given what you just said about cooking through doneness to tenderness and also using the right cut of pork, I think I get now why traditional Hawaiian Kahlua pig is so easy and delicious. Totally. I'm all about Kahlua pig. The best thing about it is that whether you cook it in the ground like the Hawaiians do, or in a slow cooker or pressure cooker like I do, it just works. Kahlua pig is one of the earliest recipes of mine to make an appearance on my blog, and I still make it regularly. I'm a huge fan of succulent Hawaiian-style Kahlua pig, too. It's rich, satisfying, and dead simple to prepare. I think even I could make it. I know you could make it, even (laughs) though you don't make it. Because all you need are a few strips of bacon, a pork shoulder roast, and some Hawaiian sea salt, or even just regular old kosher salt. And regardless of whether you use a pressure cooker or slow cooker, the appliance helps retain all the juices of the meat, producing a roast pork that's just as ridiculously tender and flavorful as the original luau favorite. So let's say you have a giant pile of leftover Kahlua pork. What do you do with it? Eat it! But anyway, no, I, that's a good question. My Kahlua pork recipe... <laughs> it doesn't sound like it was a good question. <laughs> my Kahlua pork recipe always yields a lot of porky goodness. I think I say it, it has eight servings, but I think it lasts us for a long time because you can really stretch it. Totally. You've served up leftover Kahlua pork in an infinite number of ways. Think in omelets and scrambles, lettuce wraps, soups, and all of it's delicious. 
yeah, there's just no shortage of ways to use it. I stash the amount in the fridge that we can eat in about three days. And then the rest I freeze in portion batches because I've learned that if you're lazy and freeze it all in a giant container, you'll never eat it. Because it's just this gigantic brick of pork. Yeah, a frozen brick of pork that takes forever to defrost and you just won't do it. So once it's apportioned out, you can just grab a family-sized serving of pork from the fridge or freezer and let your imagination run wild. You can make tacos, cook it up with some quick cooking greens for a fabulous stir-fry, stir it into soups, fill up a frittata, or pork up a vegetable hash. My new way to use leftover clue pork is to just crisp it up in a cast iron skillet. And there's enough fat around it that when you throw it in, it just gets all crispy in its own fat. And then I serve it with vegetables or a salad. And it's my favorite because I like those crispy, golden, crunchy piggy bits. There are tons of other Nom Nom Paleo recipes that feature butt roast too. Besides Kahlua pig and your peachy pork kebabs, you have slow cooker cheater pork stew, overnight oven braised pork tacos, and even sous vide carnitas. And just a really basic slow cooker pork shoulder pot roast too. All this talk is making me hungry. Me too. When's dinner? I don't know. You're ruining the podcast, Owen. I'm just trying to make conversation, Ollie. Like a radio personality. Well, you sound weird. of the week. Owen, what's your crush of the week? It's Stratego, the board game. Same with me. It's a strategy game and we learned how to play it at camp. Yeah, and we liked it, so we begged our mom to buy it. What do you like about it? I like it because it's a combination of chess and space invaders. No, it's a combination of chess and battleship. So basically, Every piece can only move one square, and they can't move diagonally, only forwards and sideways, and one spot, and also there's bombs, and you try to get their flag, but you don't know what pieces are. It's like playing capture the flag with a blindfold on. Except you might bump into a bomb that might kill you. Yeah, doesn't that sound super fun? Yeah. Why do you like it? It's just really fun, but it's kind of not fair because you always win. Why do I win? Because you're smart. No, because I'm cool and awesome. I guess. I'll get better. I'll probably beat you sometime. Never. Oh, really? Yeah. Wanna bet? How much money? A hundred million. Dollars or like cents? Cents. How much money is that? I don't know. How about you, Ollie? Do you have another crush of the week? Nerf guns, because I use mine to shoot out my tooth. Explain what that means. Well, my front tooth was wiggly, and then I took a piece of string and a Nerf bullet, and I tied the piece of string to my tooth and the Nerf bullet, put it in my gun, loaded it up, and shot it three times. And then on the third one, it got it out. On the first one, like, it didn't really do anything, so it just hit, but went back and just hit my face because the bullet was not jerked enough. And then cocked enough. And then the second one, it was cocked enough so it could um, shoot a lot faster. And it made it bleed a little. And then and then I was like crying and then I was like, no, stop. And then my mom just immediately got the gun shot it out. It was too scary. I got two eye patches so I could cover my eyes. So does that mean you had two pirate patches over both eyes and a string attached to your tooth and a Nerf bullet? 
and then your mom actually took it and shot it out of your mouth? Yeah. He was excited because we saw it on America's Funniest Videos and we tried it, but then it didn't pop out right away and then it got a little scary. So then I had to take over and just shoot it out. So it was like blood and tears and pirate patches and Nerf bullets and string. For your next loose tooth, are you going to do it again? Maybe, if I have to. If we do, we should make sure that we get it on video. I think it's too much blood for you two. But then there were smiles afterwards and popsicles. <laughs> I'm glad I missed that. I know. See, that wasn't fair that you were gone. <laughs> I was eating box tea or something. Question of the week. So for this week's question of the week, Kesem asked in the blog comments, Michelle, I've noticed that there are some fruits and vegetables that never appear in your recipes. For example, kiwi, grapes, oranges, eggplants. Is it because of paleo restrictions? And if so, then why yes to pineapple but no to kiwi? Or maybe you just don't like those. Thanks for your answer in advance. That's actually really interesting because, you know, all fruits and vegetables fall under my paleo template. And I know that I have a bunch of recipes with eggplant for sure. <laughs> but And oranges. What self-respecting Chinese person does not eat slices of orange for dessert? Right. And we have an orange sriracha chicken. But, you know, maybe you don't notice that many fruits in my recipes because I don't cook a lot of desserts and... That's kind of the only category I would think of that would require a lot of fruit in the ingredients. Yeah, and you've also used fruit in savory recipes too, right? I mean, you've had watermelon in savory recipes like your watermelon gazpacho, and you've added grapes or apples to chicken salad. I think you even have two different fruity barbecue sauces, one that's sweetened with cherries and one with peaches. Okay, you're right. I'll sometimes use fruit to add like a note of sweetness to my otherwise savory dishes. And I think I use them because then they're like Whole30 compliant. I'll use them in place of honey or sugar. Mm -hmm. But I don't really love to combine fruit with my savory stuff. And I just like to eat my fruit in season and naked. So you eat fruit when you're naked? No. When the fruit is naked, meaning I most often just eat fruit as is and not as like an ingredient in a dish. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah, I mean, I love stone fruit and strawberries and I love tangy fruit. And because it's summertime here in the United States, I love nectarines and pluots and I like to enjoy them while the weather's nice and hot. And you're fully clothed. Always. <laughs> I'm a never nude. <laughs> I know some paleo eaters, especially those who are trying to stay on the lower carb side of things, are, you know, a little bit leery of fruit because they don't want the extra sugar or carbs. Do you ever consider that when you're eating fruit? Not really. When I first started, I was way more low carb and I even restricted some of the fruit I was eating. But these days, I eat a bunch of starchy vegetables and some white rice and fruit because it makes me feel better. I do eat fruit, but I don't eat it in place of vegetables like I used to. Like, remember when I would make myself a giant fruit smoothie and say, hey, look, I'm getting my five servings of fruit and I don't need to eat any vegetables. I used to think that they were equally nutritious, but they're not. And so I realized that and I changed my ways and I eat a lot more vegetables now. And as Owen likes to remind me, a lot of the vegetables I eat are actually fruit, like avocados and tomatoes. So clearly I like fruit. <laughs> I like fruit too, mom. Oh, I know. I think if left to your own devices, you'd be a fruitarian. If left to my own devices, 
I'll just play Flappy Bird all day on my iPad. I'm really good. All my family members, their high score is three. Mine is 120. Stop bragging. What is true? Okay, so I think we're nearing the end of the show, and I hope all of you have been taking close and careful notes. You don't need to do that because all of our show notes are always at nomnompaleo.com slash podcast archive. And you just have to look up episode 11. You should visit the website anyway. Michelle actually has a new recipe up this week for the first time in like forever. That's right. And it's a chicken recipe, chicken breast recipe, which everyone is always asking me for. Not a butt? Not a butt or a thigh. So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters, also known as the dining room in our house, located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Politaire. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order. And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com. And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us next time for more Nom Nom Paleo podcasts.